Welcome to the Show Cloud Podcast, everyone. I'm joined today by Hugh Rayner, who's our CloudSec lead here. Um, we're going to cover everything today that's cloud security related, and it's a guide to cloud security, ultimately. So, Hugh, uh, welcome to the podcast. Um, Thank you. Avid listeners will, will recognize you, I'm sure, from other episodes, but for those who are new, could you just give a brief introduction to yourself and, and what your role is here? Yeah, so I'm a senior cybersecurity consultant and I currently lead the um, the cloud testing team. So making sure that, you know, we're able to offer the best services we can in, in cloud, stay on top of current trends and, and, and things we're seeing in the industry and just making sure that, you know, everything's secure in the cloud. Awesome. Nice. So tell me, um, so tell me what, what do we mean by cloud security? So what does it entail? What does it cover? And then we'll get into the details as we go along. Yeah, so I guess the natural starting point there is how does it differ from traditional security with you know on-prem infrastructure and that largely comes down to what we call the shared responsibility model so you know if everything's on-prem you know you're then responsible for the physical security of the building it's in you're responsible for maintaining you know the health of those servers the performance the security of, of all of that infrastructure but with cloud you know we're, we're it breaks down into these two parts right we've got security of the cloud and security in the cloud so your cloud service provider will maintain and manage that security of the cloud. So that, that you know they run the data centers, right? You don't need to worry about who's got access to the cabs or anything like that because the cloud service provider handles that. All that you need to worry about is the security in the cloud. So the resources you're deploying, you need to make sure that we're not just allowing reverse shells into our instances and, and things like that. So it off you know offloads quite a lot of that responsibility. And, you know, the bits that you are responsible for, you've then got all of these, you know, hundreds of really valuable cloud provider tools and utilities to help you manage that, that yourself. Okay, excellent. So essentially, we're outsourcing some parts of operations, right? So we, we're, yeah. we're getting rid Yeah, okay, good. That's good. So what's to stop me just throwing some things up there? Surely it sounds as easy as spin a web, web app up or spin some infrastructure up. Why can't I just do that? Can I do that perhaps? I mean, you certainly can. And um, that's one of the big areas that organizations tend to struggle with the cloud. The ease of deployment there is, you know, really tantalizing to people, you know, quickly testing something out. Let's, you know, deploy a, a VM into the cloud, test it. Oh, okay. We forgot to take it down again after the testing. Oh, now it's been compromised. And, you know, suddenly someone's, you know, crypto mining from an Azure instance that they've compromised and you're footing the bill. Okay, cool. And then, so in terms of security, is, is the cloud more secure than on-prem? Is it less secure? Am I safe in the noise that I've put some stuff up there? Uh, so again, in the cloud and off the cloud, security of the cloud is pretty watertight, right? You know absolutely that everything's safe with the environment itself. They're all accredited. You know, they've got more security monitoring teams than you could, you know, shake a stick at. So you're never going to be able to compete yourself in, in that space. But of course... The internal resources yourself, that is managed by you, just the same as it would be if it was on-premise. And you've also got a whole lot more, you know, configuration options. And obviously people have had, you know, tens of years now to get used to managing infrastructure on-prem, a whole wealth of experience and, you know, known and understood processes. But it's only really the last decade or so that we've really been seeing a lot of cloud usage. So yeah, yeah, I guess the, the point there is that some people are still, you know, getting to grips 
getting to grips with how to manage security in the cloud. Excellent. Okay, cool. So can you talk me through what an effective strategy might look like for moving things to the cloud in a secure manner, of course? Yeah, so I guess it makes sense to look at the end goal, right, to define that strategy and that's a secure environment where we're not seeing security and incidents. And I think the most important thing that we can think of there is, although the biggest quick win, I guess, is trying to minimize those misconfigurations. Because you know we're, we have been for the previous few years and we're still seeing misconfigurations as the number one sort of reason or you know, causation factor behind cloud security incidents. And so, yeah, if, informing that strategy then, things like change management processes, see organizations typically having you know reasonably well-defined change management processes for on-prem infrastructure things have to be raised as a request and they get signed off and they get actioned and that's all nicely logged but again as you mentioned you know a couple of minutes ago with it being so easy to rapidly deploy things then can lead to risk right so you can deploy things, change a configuration of things really easily. You don't have to go down to a data center, plug into a console port and change settings like that. You can, you know, from anywhere in the world, really, you can just sit down, go into your cloud provider portal and, and make changes. And that's really hard to keep on top of. And that's where these misconfigurations come in. So I think, you know, the most important part of a cloud security strategy is managing that change especially at the, the time of migration, right, where everything's happening all at once, making sure that the environment's being set up in the way you expect and, and, and wish is really the most important thing. Okay, wow, perfect. Thank you very much. So tell me a little bit more about the governance. So what kind of governance framework do we need in place to make sure that this is done in a secure manner, in a well-controlled manner, ultimately, I think, is what we're looking for. So you know, have you got any tips and, and information around that side of things as well? Yeah, so again, beauty of the many cloud service providers there are, you can really take your pick whether, you know, you think ISO 27001 is the best governance structure for your organization or, or NIST CSF, you know, these are sort of baked into the, the cloud service providers themselves. All of the, again, the of the cloud, the underlying infrastructure is all accredited to NIST, accredited to ISO. And then a lot of the tools and resources available in the cloud also help to streamline that process and point you in the right direction to making sure that we're managing these governance processes well. Azure even have, I think it's just called Azure Governance, right? And that has a bunch of utilities within it to help you manage that process, like asset management and everything just at the click of a button, because we go into organizations regularly and can I see your asset register? And it's about 12 different documents, none of them are complete. Glorious to be able to just have that at the touch of a button. Yeah, for, well, for sure. Okay, so a little bit into my comfort zone, or more of a comfort zone, some technical considerations. So let's have a chat about what you might expect to see if you were to do a penetration test of a cloud environment. You know, what kind of issues are we are we seeing on the regular? And we talked about configuration problems. So I'm assuming a configuration problem in the cloud is potentially a bad thing. So again, can you just give us a bit of an insight into what they look like, what the vulnerabilities might look like? And crucially, I think the impact. So we know full well that if you compromise a web app that sits in a DMZ in a traditional network where you'll black land. But if you compromise an application that's running in a cloud environment, what's your next steps? Where do you go from there? Um, and I think it'd be good to kind of give a steer on, on what that looks like if you could. Yeah. So um, to go with your initial sort of question, identity and access management is a huge thing. That's different to traditional on-prem infrastructure. And that's a really important one to get right. And it is an area that we commonly see misconfigured. 
down to the simple things, right? Like important root accounts and things like that, not having multi-factor authentication enabled down to, you know, just misapplication of permissions and, and being overly permissive so that people can deploy resources for, to accounts that have no need to or interrogate other resources that are completely not related to the, the function that that account needs to perform. So that's permissions and identity and access management is definitely the biggest thing. We also see smaller misconfigurations that a lot of the time won't be critical, but they definitely have that potential. So things like unsecured S3 buckets. If you've got an S3 bucket that's publicly accessible, then depending on the data that's in that, that could be huge or it could be not really of, of any note. When these issues are compounded, you know, okay, we've not set up S3 properly, then, okay, we might also then have a lack of encryption in S3 as well. So, you know, suddenly then you've got, you know, data that's not encrypted, that's publicly accessible. And these issues, you know, they can quite easily compound themselves. And then, you know, you can imagine what happens if you've got publicly accessible data that's not secured, right? Not for sure. Um, and just so we're all clear, what is S3? Uh, so S3 is AWS's service for unstructured data storage. So that can be anything you like, be JSON. It's just a data storage facility. And then it's got different tiers. So you've got like Glacier is more of a long-term S3 storage solution. So data that you want held, but you don't need to access. It sort of progresses from there to data that is really expensive when you want to access it, but doesn't cost very much to maintain there. All the way you know, back to the front where data is quite expensive to hold there, but it's relatively cheap to access. Okay, so it's, it's essentially a file server, right? And yeah, sounds like, it sounds like if it's misconfigured, it can just be out there for anyone to click on and access and, yep. and get into it. Okay, pretty scary stuff. Okay, um, so thanks, you for that. I've heard about the Metadata API. Can you tell me a little bit more about what that is and why it might be a bit of a problem? Yeah, so the Metadata API used to be more of an issue than it is now. So there are currently, in AWS, there are two versions. There's version one and version two. Like most things, we'd suggest using version two or the latest version, right? The difference being with version two, you now need to provide a token when you make a request for this metadata, whereas previously, it would just provide you that, that metadata because you were able to make the request. Uh, now, what would you know, be stopping you from just making that request against any instance is that it's a special request to a non-routable IP address. And previously, the trust there was just if you could access this IP, then you know you were sort of implicitly trusted to be able to access that that metadata file, uh, which means if you if it was a, a web server or a web application running running on that host, and you you achieved server side request forgery or you know any way of forcing that that server to make a request to itself or remote code execution, anything like that, really you would then be able to query this metadata API. And I guess the crux of that is that it was, you know, a lot of data in here, including access keys for the environment. The whole thing with the cloud, right, is everything is done on, a, you know, like keys and permissions. So getting these access keys, depending on, you know, the account that, that's in use there could very well be the entire keys to the kingdom, full access to that, that cloud account then. Okay. And from experience, I've seen a few where the, the keys that you find are the ones with a lot of permissions, i.e. the root account or something like that. Because I guess I am, we touched, we touched on identity earlier on, things like I am exist within each of the cloud providers or the main ones at least. But I'm not convinced everyone's using them in the 
necessarily the, the right manner and not of the least privileged principle either. So yeah, and I think definitely the cloud is an area where you know principle of least privilege is hugely important, huge, complex. And definitely there aren't many organizations where one individual requires access to the whole thing. Typically the person that's you know deploying instances isn't also the person that needs to settle the invoice at the end of the month. So why would you allow one account to have permissions like that? And yeah, I mean, all of the cloud service providers tell you not to, you know, not to deploy to the primary root account or anything like that. But we do still see quite often resources being deployed with root. And then, yeah, as you say, that one account then gets compromised and, and that is game over. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So let's talk a little bit more about cloud technology specifically. We've talked a little bit about vulnerabilities and implied that you might be able to run a web application there, for example, or some other services, for example. But let's talk about the technology itself. So what other things can you do in the cloud? So what's available to me if I signed up for an AWS account or an Azure account? What can I do ultimately? Yeah, so well, almost anything you write, like, right, that involves computing. We've talked a lot about instances and virtual machines and things like that. But, you know, you've also got these, whether you call them lambdas with AWS or functions with Azure, serverless code execution where you get charged for the amount of time that your code is running. You can, you know, feasibly deploy a, a web application in a serverless manner. Of course, it's not serverless, right? It's just you're not maintaining that server. The server is not visible to you. Obviously, it still exists. And many companies are running entirely on this serverless architecture that you know then reduces your risk exposure and attack surface quite significantly as well. There's really not much that you can't deploy in the cloud anymore. And even some of the you know the tangential services like so Amazon run AWS Inspector, so where you traditionally have your on-prem infrastructure and your your vulnerability management process would be entirely separate to that, right? Your server's not going to help you look after itself. But Amazon have AWS Inspector, and, and that's their you know, cloud-native vulnerability assessment tool that will go into all of your resources and scan them for issues. So there's really a lot of benefit to the cloud in terms of these extra little bits that you can just plug in and add on. Okay, good. So I'm getting the feeling that it's uh, a good thing. So the, all, the, all the stuff you can do in there is, is a benefit to us, kind of the world moving forward, ultimately. So let's talk a bit about how it's, how it's changed the traditional model. So we've recovered a little bit there, but... How do you think that the attitudes are changing, you know, in, in recent times versus what they might have done? You mentioned it earlier on that cloud is probably the last decade or something like that. How have those attitudes shifted over that period of time, do you think? Yeah, I think initially people were concerned, you know, naturally for many organizations, their their data is the value to that organization. So entrusting that to a third party is sort of a slightly alien concept. How can we just let this random other company look after all of our stuff? And certainly there are, you know, still cases where it's not viable. You know, if you're dealing with highly classified government data, for instance, that's not going to be permitted to be hosted in the cloud. But I think attitudes are generally shifting now when people are realizing that Amazon, Google, Microsoft, these guys are perfectly qualified to look after our data. And they've already demonstrated the the ridiculous uptime. I mean, uptime well beyond that we could reasonably expect ourselves. Talking nine nines of, of reliability there. And as time has gone on, relatively speaking, security incidents frequency is quite low as well. So all good things for building up trust there. Mm, yeah, for sure. Um, is there a risk, though, to, to over-reliance on the cloud? I know there's been a few instances recently where 
kind of your favorite streaming video services have been offline, for example, because there's been an outage in a certain region of a cloud provider. Are we a bit more, are we a bit too reliant on it, perhaps? I think there are definitely elements of that. I'd argue that outages would be a lot more difficult to overcome if all of these, you know, streaming services were were hosting on-prem. I imagine they'd have far more frequent issues than using the cloud. But certainly we are seeing organizations now moving to multi-cloud setups, as they're now called, where, you know, you've got resources across all three of the main players, perhaps. Obviously, you can't link up availability zones and regions and things like that quite as easily. But certainly just if you want to avoid having all of your eggs in one basket, and, you know, to some extent, multi-cloud is a great option. Okay, that sounds like a lot more effort, ultimately, but potentially some benefits, I think, as well. A hundred percent, it's a lot more effort. You know, it's down to an organization to determine whether the benefit they get from you know, duplicating that effort is requirement in order to stave off that, you know, that last uh, fraction of doubt over reliability. For the vast majority of cases, it won't be, but certainly for some people, and whether it's down to reliability or just the different utility offered by different cloud providers, that there's many reasons why you might consider a multi-cloud environment. You might prefer AWS's Lambda implementation, but you know you really want to make use of Azure AD, for instance. Yeah, I guess there's quite a lot of companies would be multi-cloud without realizing it. So they're probably using some form of O365, you mentioned there, Azure AD, but probably also have a few things in Google Cloud or in AWS, for example. As yeah. Well. So already off the bat, probably probably multi-cloud straight away. I think and obviously that touches on a you know a really important thing as well is these cloud service providers we've been talking about, their, you know, infrastructure as a service, you know, full fat cloud, right? But OneDrive, that's a cloud service. Slack is a cloud service. All of these things, YouTube, you know, people putting videos on, that's, it's still a cloud service, right? It's data storage, access processing that happens outside of infrastructure you own. So, you know, all of these, even software as a service tools, they are still cloud providers, you know, cloud solutions. Mm, yeah, yeah, no, definitely. You know, let, let's say hypothetically speaking, I'm going to start moving some things to the cloud because I've, I've enjoyed this conversation and I, and I think I can do it. Do I just manage the, the assets in the same way that I would if it was an on-prem thing? You know, if it's on-prem AD versus Azure AD, do I just manage it in the same way? Do I adopt something differently? Is is a cultural element to, to how this stuff is, is put live and managed to do that effectively? So in my mind, it's so much easier from the cloud uh, you're able to zoom out and get a really high-level view. You can say, okay, resources of this type, we expect to do this. We want these policies applied. You know, from a 10,000-foot view, you can say, okay, all of these should perform like this. All of these have these rule sets applied. And then you can, you know, step back and make sure that all those policies are running on those resources. You don't have to go down to them, plug in, you know, inspect them yourselves make sure that everything is running as, as, as you would expect, you know, on an okay. on-prem infrastructure environment. I'm sold. So tell me here, what, what are your top three things that I need to consider as I move into the cloud or as part of a cloud strategy? So your migration is key, right? That can be make or break. We are still seeing, you know, migration periods as being one of the highest risk points in time for organizations, especially where the migration is so big that we spend a significant amount of time in a hybrid on-prem cloud setup, I think a lot of the time people are thinking, okay, this is well segregated, everything's disconnected, there's no real route between our, our on-prem and our cloud. 
But even when you think they are, you know, just completely separate, it's really important that we're still treating those as one environment because in a lot of cases they are sort of really closely intertwined and attackers can, you know, find their way between the two. Okay, excellent. So to recap then it's it's developing an effective cloud security strategy, selecting where you're gonna put the, the data. I guess making sure that everybody in the organization is on board with that strategy as well, uh, ultimately. We talked quite extensively throughout this about secure configuration, you know, making sure that you have done your due diligence on whether something's secure and is secure when you put it up there. And then also third, I think we talked a bit about the governance structures that you would need in place to manage this kind of stuff effectively, which is nice as well. well let's say hypothetically then again, I'm already partway through moving to the cloud and I know for sure that there's three teams that have started to do something in AWS and I've got a couple of other teams that do something in Google, but I've not really defined a, a company-wide strategy. How, how do I get them kind of pieces of the jigsaw brought back in and managed accordingly? You know, how can I bring them into the framework? Uh, so I think importantly there, we need to make sure that we get buy-in from those teams, consult with those teams on what they're trying to achieve, why they're using the providers they're using, because it's no good us just coming along and enforcing some policy if it makes people's lives difficult because they just you know, won't comply with that. So yeah, really important to understand the needs of the teams you're working with, what are their drivers, and then you know you, you can work with them to help define your you, the, the strategy and what that needs to look like moving forwards. Okay, perfect. Thank you. Can we just talk briefly a little bit about architecture? How important is good architecture within a cloud environment? Yeah, just as important as, as, as with an on-premise environment, really. You've got a lot of potential with cloud. You can deploy what would traditionally be quite expensive networking equipment in a virtualized manner and really you know, have that full control over your, over your network. But yeah, absolutely, if you are just considering moving to the cloud, it is definitely a good idea to sit down with a, a cloud architect or an engineer and um, you know, make sure that we get this right from the start because it can be really difficult to sort of unpick that and go backwards and, and rebuild things later when every, all these you know, interdependencies between software and services are already established. Yeah, definitely, yeah. And then also, I guess defensively as well, you, you want to be in a position where you, you know how things are configured, that they're all you know, centrally auditing themselves and pushing things into the central security center in some cases or security function uh, in, in other platforms. Yeah, and that's a crucial element, really, making sure that within the organization, you understand what all of the various security tools and utilities are doing. So quite often we all, you know, we'll see clients and they'll say, oh, everything should be fine because we've got you know, CloudTrail and CloudWatch enabled. Well, great. That's going to tell you what's happening to your instances and to your resources. You know, you'll be able to see who's modifying or changing them but they won't give you the insight into what's happening in the resources, what's actually running on that resource and what's happening inside that instance, which requires you know, a separate solution. Maybe that's ingesting into a seam or a, a SOC or something like that. Perfect. Well, thank you for your insights, Hugh. How can people find out a bit more if, they, if they've liked what they've heard today? Yeah, feel free to uh, you know, reach out to me on LinkedIn, type my name, I'll come up, or you feel free to send me an email. Okay. Thank you very much. Yeah. Again, so I'm I'm Nick Hayes. I'm on LinkedIn as well. You'll find me there if you want to search for us. Um, Showcloud also hits us up there, and the podcast is available on all your favorite podcasting applications. Thank you very much, and see you next time.